devotional thought for the first day of Advent. Light your candles quietly, such candles as you possess, wherever you are. Alfred Delp. Advent literally means arrival, and it's been observed for centuries as a time to contemplate Christ's birth. Most people today acknowledge it only with a blank look. For the vast majority of us, December flies by in a flurry of activities and what is called the holiday season. Turns out to be the most stressful time of the year. A time of contrasting emotions. We're eager, yet frazzled, sentimental, yet indifferent. One minute we glow at the thought of getting together with our family and friends. The next we feel utterly lonely. Our hope is mingled with dread, our anticipation, with despair. We sense the deeper meanings of the season, but grasp at them in vain. And in the end, all the bustle leaves us frustrated and drained. I'd like for um, you to hear this devotional thought from Henry Nowen from a book called Watch for the Light which are readings for Advent and Christmas, a collection. Henry and Nowen, one of my favorite writers, wrote a chapter called Waiting for God. Waiting is not a very popular attitude. Waiting is not something that people think about with great sympathy. In fact, most people consider waiting a waste of time. Perhaps this is because the culture in which we live is basically saying, get going, do something, show you are able to make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait. For many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. And people do not like such a place. They want to get out of it by doing something. In our particular historical situation, waiting is even more difficult because we are fearful sometimes. One of the most pervasive emotions in the atmosphere around us is fear. People are afraid of inner feelings, afraid of other people, also afraid of the future. That is why waiting is such an unpopular attitude for many people. It impresses me, therefore, that all the figures who appear on the first pages of Luke's gospel are waiting. Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting. Simeon and Anna, who were there at the temple when Jesus was brought in, are waiting. The whole opening scene of the good news is filled with waiting people. And right at the beginning, all those people, in some way or another, hear the words, Do not be afraid. I have something good to say to you. These words set the tone and the context. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary, Simeon, and Anna are waiting for something new and good to happen to them. Who are these figures? They are representatives of the waiting Israel. The Psalms are full of this attitude. My soul is waiting for the Lord. I count on his word. 
My soul is longing for the Lord more than a watchman for daybreak. Because with the Lord there is mercy and fullness of redemption. These come from Psalm 130, verses 5 through 7. My soul is waiting for the Lord. That is the song that reverberates all through the Hebrew Scriptures. But not all who dwell in Israel are waiting. In fact, we might say that the prophets criticized the people, at least in part, for giving up their attentiveness to what was coming. Waiting finally became the attitude of the remnant of Israel, of a small group of Israelites that remained faithful. The prophet Zephaniah says, In your midst I will leave a humble and lowly people, and those who are left in Israel will seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. They will do no wrong, will tell no lies, and the perjured tongue will no longer be found in their mouths. It is the purified remnant of faithful people who are waiting. Elizabeth and Zechariah Mary and Simeon are representatives of that remnant. They have been able to wait, to be attentive, to live expectantly. But what is the nature of waiting? What is the practice of waiting? How are they waiting? And how are we called to wait with them? Waiting as we see it in the people on the first pages of the gospel is waiting with a sense of promise. Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is to bear you a son. Mary, listen, you are to conceive and bear a son. People who wait have received a promise that allows them to wait. They've received something that is at work in them, like a seed that has started to grow. This is very important. We can only really wait if what we are waiting for has already begun for us. So waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It is always a movement from something to something more. Zechariah, Mary, and Elizabeth were living with a promise that nurtured them, that fed them, that made them able to stay where they were. And in this way, the promise itself could grow in them and for them. Second, waiting is active. Most of us think of waiting as something very passive, a hopeless state determined by events totally out of our hands. The bus is late. You cannot do anything about it. So you have to sit there and just wait. It is not difficult to understand the irritation people feel when somebody says, just wait. Words like that seem to push us into passivity, but there is none of this passivity in Scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting very actively. They know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. That's the secret. The secret of waiting is the faith that the seed has been planted, that something has begun. Active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment.
a lot of things to think about in that scripture, scriptural devotion. And I'd like to read one more passage from the Old Testament in Psalm 33, 18 through 22. Behold, the Lord's eyes upon those who fear him, who revere and worship him with awe, who wait for him and hope in his mercy and loving kindness to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Our inner selves wait earnestly for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For in him does our heart rejoice because we have trusted and relied on him and been confident in his holy name. Let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to our waiting and hoping for you. I'm going to read that last verse one more time. It had a real impact on me one morning when I was reading. Let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to our waiting and hoping for you. I guess we can ask ourselves, in what proportion am I waiting for him this Advent season? Day two, a poem from The Incarnation by Thomas Ryder Worth, titled, He Comes Down from Heaven. First, a scripture. No one has gone up to heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man who is in heaven. John's Gospel. 3.13 from the Jerusalem Bible. The early news wins its way. The first preaching of the preachers say, The kingdom of heaven is near. Heaven's kingdom is here. What is it like? What is it like for the one who is in heaven? We could almost say the one who makes heaven heaven. What is it like for him to come down from heaven? And what is more like heaven when he comes down to us? Is heaven there or here? Where is heaven? With the archangels and seraphim? Or in the womb of Mary? And then with his birth, the stable where ox and ass and cattle feed? Are the angels leaving heaven to sing their song over the hills of Bethlehem? Or do they feel as they draw near the place of the nativity that they are coming to heaven, to that holiest place where he who was with God in the beginning and is God is become flesh and is dwelling among us? Think of it. He who is at the heart of the throne in heaven, angels and archangels, cherubim and seraphim, powers and dominions, worshiping and adoring him, hearing melodies and words that we can only dimly guess, songs so beautiful that our hearts would break for wonder if we heard them. 
a cataract of praise where he is able to discern every strand of song from every single singer, now plunges himself into utter silence until his nascent bit of embryonic humanity forms ears to hear the flow of blood, the swish of fluid, the beating of his mother's heart. Think of it. He who can see everything and dwells in the light from which heaven and earth flee away, the light to which no one can approach, steps down into the darkness of our beginnings and our wanderings. He becomes blind until he opens his eyes as a newborn. Unable to focus on a new world, lit by a torch or an oil lamp, or perhaps only the light of the sinking moon that reveals the shapes and shadows of manger and stall, the misty breath of the cattle in the stable, the nearness of his mother's breast, and the blurred outlines of her eyes and lips. Think of it, he who inhabits eternity and for whom the nations are a drop in the bucket, who feels infinity enough to be everywhere, now confines himself to the growing seed within Mary. He who is present in all places at all times now becomes local and limited, centering himself down into a human baby once upon a time. Think of it, the Word who speaks with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the primeval councils of eternity, who speaks creation into existence, who, in conversing with the thrones and dominions, the angelic intelligences of the cosmos, imparts to them what little of his knowledge they can bear, who speaks and knows all that God knows, now relinquishes all knowledge of himself or anything else, knows only the trauma of being born into a strange, cold world, no longer knows who he is, knows only what every human being coming into the world knows, and like us all, with his inarticulate cries, expresses his distress, hunger, thirst, and need because, like us all, it is all he can say, and like us all, it is the only way he can begin to breathe the cold night air into which he is born. Think of it. He who, as the only begotten God, wields all power and rules with all authority, commanding principalities and galaxies, governing quarks and quasars, sparrows and rainbows, lets go of it all and comes down from heaven, losing everything, becomes weak and wanting, a baby in his mother's arms. And yet, even though he lets heaven go and comes down, It seems that heaven would not be bereft of him and so follows him to earth and is here 
with a cloud of witnesses at his birth.